the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Simple Truth Moments, hosted by Reverend Earl Clampett of Simple Truth Ministries, a weekly show dedicated to excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. Good morning, San Diego Saints. I am your host, Reverend Earl Clampett. Welcome to Simple Truth Moments, a unique type of broadcast with the goal to prepare the body of Christ for the momentous times in which we find ourselves. This program serves as a kingdom training platform, challenging church tradition, not with hostility, but with a view to assess the biblical validity of what is taught and lived. So put on your seatbelt for an enlightening journey of cultural context and a fresh way to more thoroughly comprehend the kingdom ways of God. Good morning, San Diego Saints. Welcome back. We are continuing with our series on a book authored by me, came out last year, called Homecoming. How the Mystery of the New Covenant Brings Both Jew and Gentile Back to Abba Father. And uh, where we left off last time was um, trying to figure out, in fact, a chapter in this particular book, uh, chapter 11, listen to the title, it's called Solving the Mysterious um, Construction Project of one new man and Messiah. And we discussed uh, last week that God's building something very unique, very special here, uh, bringing the two groups of peoples together. And we mentioned that there are only two groups in the Bible. Um, There are the Hebrews, the Jews, who um, uh, are covenant covenant nation, and um, that began uh, with the patriarchs back in uh, Genesis 12 and 15 and 17 and 22, etc., all those different chapters in Genesis, which basically um, set up a plan for God, Father God, to restore the fallen earth, which unfortunately uh, blew up in Genesis chapter 3 when the spiritual rebellion uh, that started in Isaiah. Uh, chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28 came down uh, to earth from the second heavens. And we mentioned that um, God still has a problem on his hands today. And the problem is something that's spiritual in nature. It began in the spiritual realm. It began in the second heavens. And that's why you need to read uh, Isaiah um, chapter 14 beginning at verse 12, take it to the end, and then also read um, uh, Ezekiel 28. And um, I believe that begins at verse 14, take that to the end. And um, you'll see that the intent of this rebellion in the spiritual kingdom in the second heavens uh, was basically an attempt to um, snub the fallen angels to sub, snub their nose at God's plan, God's blueprint, God's design that was laid out in Genesis 1 and 2. And um, in essence, uh, mankind is at the center of that Genesis 1, Genesis 2 blueprint um, because it involves the question, uh, who did God select to run the material creation? That is a key question. And um, depending on who God picked, who God selected to run the material creation, you can find and discover a lot by just asking that question. And uh, you start to understand why there's this obsession with the two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and life of God um, 
in Jesus and through the Holy Spirit versus the kingdom of darkness and death and destruction with the fallen angelic kingdom. And they're fighting over this thing called the material creation. But more importantly, who gets to run this place called Earth? And as we've said uh, before, the enemy was not, the adversary was not happy with the selection of what he probably considered to be dust balls um, as God scoops up literally the soil, the the earth, and breathes into it and creates this um, amazing um, result, this amazing creation in his image and having his likeness. Now, the angels can't claim that. And, and so these fallen angels wanted to be the ones who got the nod from God, from Father God. They, they wanted to be the ones who got the, the appointment to say, you know what, you guys are very uh, full of stature in the, uh, rebel- uh, the, I'm sorry, in the angelic kingdom, and I want you to run it. But God didn't pick them. He didn't select them. He didn't choose them. He chose man. Because man um, was made in his image and had received his likeness. And so that should explain why the fascination of all this um, crazy drama that's going on down in the, in the earth of light versus darkness, good versus evil, rebellion versus... Um, you know, God's will and his kingdom, which is the king's domain. Um, rebellion didn't begin with man. And we need to take note of that. The rebellion against God is a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual um, movement against God. And it began, it didn't begin in Genesis chapter 3. It began in the spiritual kingdom and it was brought down to earth and messed everything up, as we see in Genesis chapter 3. And so this adversary, who is angry at God, frustrated with God, disappointed with God, um, is feeling left out, wants to prove God wrong as to his original uh, plans, his original design as to the magnitude of the material creation, the unbelievable beauty of the material creation, and who gets to run the place, who gets to operate, who gets to manage, to steward, to, to tend it, to keep it, is mankind, not the fallen angelic world. And you can see this frustration with the enemy in, in the first three chapters of Job. You know, Job is the actual the oldest book of the Bible. And um, check out those conversations that are going on between Father God and the adversary about this creation called mankind. And Satan wants to, in essence, prove God wrong about all of the blessings that he gave Job. He had an amazing family. Um, He was prosperous. He was uh, bountiful. He was successful. And Satan's out to prove God wrong, to say, you should never have put dust balls, what he considers to be dust balls, in, in charge of the earth and the material creation. It's a fascinating study. If you look at Job and study that conversation going on uh, between the adversary and Father God, all about this man called Job. Why the obsession? Do you ever ask yourself that question? Why is the spiritual realm so amazingly focused Obsessed. I don't think that's too too extreme a word about the destiny of mankind. 
It's because of the authority that Father God originally gave to mankind in Genesis 1 and 2. And that authority is something that Satan did not receive. Satan still has some power, residual power, even after the fall. But we're not talking about power here. Authority is a different word. It's a different concept. Authority means legal permission to do something. That's what authority means. It's like a badge that a police officer carries. Uh, if a police officer is not wearing his uniform and, and doesn't have a badge and just walks around with a gun all day trying to enforce things, people are going to say, well, wait a minute. By what right are you doing this? By what authority are you carrying out this task of running things? And Satan knew implicitly and instinctively that Father God was never going to give him authority to run this place. So he had to invent a way, a mechanism, by which to gain the authority over to the rebellious angels, but from somebody who did legally receive it, who did have the legal permission, who had the authority over the material creation. And so he devised a plot, a plan. He conspired, and he came up with, Jesus called him the father of lies. He says there is no truth in him. You see that in John chapter 10, 10, 10, um, the book of John. And, um, and so he set about to beguile to trick, to deceive, to defraud. I mean, there's lots of different words you can use, but in essence, he set out through trickery to propose suggestions, propose um, information to mankind in the form of Eve initially, to somehow get her to agree with him that Father God was wrong about putting people in charge. And he had to set out um, through, he's very slick. I mean, he doesn't come out and accuse God right away. He just engages in a conversation, a simple, seemingly innocent conversation. And that conversation was designed to appear innocent, but at the end of the conversation, it was designed to take down God's plan of having man have the authority to rule and reign, have dominion to rule and reign over the material realm. And it worked. It, it worked beautifully. And unfortunately, um, Eve, being probably naive, began to imagine the types of, of reality, the new reality, based on the suggestions that the enemy was implanting into her thought process. That's how he works. Those are his tactics. He has a strategy. He has a plan. But his tactics we need to learn. And that's why we need to get control over our rampaging thoughts, our thought life. When we first become born again and we say, oh, we're giving our lives to the Lord, do we include um, the reality of our thought life? Do we also submit to the Lord Jesus and saying, we're also giving you not just our heart, but we're going to give you the the way we think, the way we process information, the way we uh, observe things, our belief system. Because a lot of people, unfortunately, don't take this, um, 
this process of redemption of salvation very seriously. They think it's just a matter of checking a box and, you know, saying the four spiritual laws and um, basically saying that you agree with certain um, religious tenets, religious doctrines. And after you check the box, taking some verses out of context, you just say, okay, I got my ticket to get out of the earth, get out of (laughs) my inheritance that was given in Genesis 1 and 2, and just get out of here. And so that experience becomes um, a way of just becoming passive, a way of just you know becoming a bench warmer or a pew warmer, so to speak, and then your job is just to wait to be transported. But unfortunately... That's what's generally generally believed in Gentile circles. But there's no Bible for it. it I've said this before, and, and people, I'm sure, are shocked. I do hear from folks kind of stunned. But there's not a single verse that says the reason, the purpose for which Jesus came was so that, came to earth, was so that and when I die, I get to go to another place called heaven. It's not why he came. He came to reconcile us back to our divine creator, Father. Now you say, well, what difference does that make? Well, just about all the difference. Um, if you look at the last verses of Second Corinthians chapter 6, I'm going to go there here for just a brief moment. And I want to read to you something. I want you to count how many times you hear the word reconcile. Okay. Um, I'm going to start with 2 Corinthians uh, 6.16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Um, This is after Paul has said we are the temple of God. We're the house. We're the dwelling place. We're the domicile. With the residents. And Paul's asking, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are, you are the temple of the living God. This reconciliation is all about getting us back to Father God. And so I want to read this to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and then we'll go over to 2 Corinthians um, 5. For you are the temple of the living God, we're in verse 16, as God has said, I will dwell in them. Wow. In? When Father God was with Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and 2, he was with them. They had a relationship. And in fact, when we're talking about why did Jesus come, he came to reestablish the relationship that our first parents had with God. Go back and read this uh, relationship. I mean, it's pretty cool when you see all the stuff that's going on in Genesis chapter 2. I mean, Father God and Adam are having a blast. Father God is creating all these different animals out of the, out of the earth, and he's coming over to Adam, and he's saying, they're like they're having fun together, and they're saying, what do you want to call this, this animal this time? Look, at the, look what I just made. You call it. You name it. You give it the title. And so it was like almost this uh, family engagement of father and son enjoying the creative process that went on even after uh, Genesis 1. This is now Genesis 2. More things are being created. And Father God never overturns the opinion or the decision of Adam as far as naming the animals. He doesn't say that's dumb or that's a stupid idea. He doesn't. He just said, gave it over to you. You do it. So Jesus came so that we get back to return to that relationship that Adam and later Eve, you know, because they hung out before the fall. They had a relationship. They spent time with each other. They, had, they enjoyed each other. They were living because they knew God. And they lost that relationship with the deception being accepted, a contract was made, in essence, with agreeing with the enemy about 
this father was not trustworthy. Um, his character was flawed. And the fact that he put some rules down, it probably meant that uh, he was afraid of what would happen if that fruit were eaten, or he was jealous, or he was envious. So it was fear or jealousy or envy, and and here's Eve saying, yeah, why, why did he put that rule? Was it capricious? Was it arbitrary, or was it protective? Like fathers tend to do if they give rules. It's for, for protection of their children. But anyway, Father God is saying in 2 Corinthians 6.16, he's saying, I will dwell in them and walk amongst them. And I, no, when Father God says, I want to dwell in you, it's for a relationship to intensify because look what the next verse is. He says, and I will walk amongst them. He says, I, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. You see how that, that belongingness in relationship starts to be reestablished? And so in verse 17, he says, come out from among them and be separate and don't touch what is unclean clean, and I will receive you, says the Father. I will be a father to you. Look at the relationship here. This is in verse 18. And you shall be my sons, and you shall be my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Well, if God wants to indwell us and have union with us, and we'll see that union um, in John 17 here in a minute, um, do you see the difference it makes whether we think the destiny of why Jesus came was to reestablish a relationship with Father versus just taking us to a place? Because look at in the next um, chapter, it says 2 Corinthians 7, 1, it says, therefore, having these promises, what promises? The promises of restoring the relationship between man and Father God. Therefore, having these promises, writes Paul, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So godly behavior does matter in order to establish a relationship again, like our original family, uh, parents had, earthly parents, in Genesis 1 and 2. And in order, if the Father is the goal, then there's a process of how we invite God in as his temple, as his house, as his residence. We talked about that in Isaiah 66 last week, or two weeks ago, that God's looking to build a house where he will have rest, and he's looking to a human being. Check it out, Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. We can't go over that right now. You can find that in the earlier show. But here we're talking about a relationship being formed if we invite him to come in. If we say we want to be in union with you, this is where he he says in verse 16, I will dwell in them and walk amongst them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. He's having union with us. And if that's why Jesus came, was to restore that relationship of intimacy between Father God and his children, he's the bridge. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's why he came. Why? Because knowing the Father is life. Where does it say that in the scripture? John 17, 3. It describes eternal life. Eternal life has nothing to do with where you go. It has everything to do with who you know. I'll say it again. Eternal life has nothing to do with where you go, but it has everything to do with who or whom you know. That's what John 17, 3 says. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, and Jesus is praying to the Father, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. Okay? So, 
if we're going to be talking about getting back to a relationship with Father God, and that's what this one new man is all about, well, then we'd better pay attention to what the process is because if we're talking just about a ticket to go to a place, I just sit around in the bleachers and wait for it to happen. I'm going to be transported away. And Jesus is saying, uh, I came to bring you back to your father, and your father is a holy God. And this process of bringing one new man together is talking about, in Ephesians chapter 4, going from being an infant to a mature adult. And that is reflected on if and how and when we do the will of Father God. We say, your kingdom come, and the very next line in the Lord's Prayer is, your will be done. That's how we show that we know God and we have a relationship with him, whether we're doing his will or not. And we're going to talk about that on the other side of the break and connect some dots for you there. Put on your seatbelts. See you after the break. God bless. Welcome back. We are discussing and continuing on with this series of Homecoming. It's the book I wrote um, last year, How the Mystery of the New Covenant Brings Both a Jew and Gentile Back to Abba Father. And what we talked about in the first half of the show um, basically deals with why is there such an obsession over mankind between the two spiritual kingdoms? You can see that in the second temptation of Christ. Um, when Satan takes Jesus after he spends 40 days fasting in the desert, the second temptation was he took him up to this high mountain and he showed him the prize of these two competing kingdoms, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of life and light versus the king of a kingdom of darkness and death, and the prize that they're both competing over was in heaven. It's not what Satan showed Jesus. What he showed him was the earth and all the kingdoms and all the people groups, the nations of the earth. And that explains pretty much how the rebellion began up in the second heavens in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, how it came down to earth and blew everything up in Genesis chapter 3 after man agreed to become part of the rebellion, the spiritual rebellion against Father God's blueprint creation plan, putting man in charge of the material creation. And ever since, we have been talking about Jesus, announced by John the Baptist, announcing this return of the government of God called the kingdom of God. Government of God, which is called the king's domain, the kingdom, returning back to this place called earth. And and Satan has so brilliantly, and frankly, you got to give him credit on being wily. He has sold the Gentile church a bill of goods that it's all about escapism to blow off and reject the kingdom creation plan of God and replace it with this um, just get out of the inheritance of earth, walk away from it. It's a lost cause anyway. And um, just hand it over, keep handing it over to uh, the fallen angelic kingdom, which is exactly what Satan wanted in the beginning in Genesis chapters uh, 3, especially, and in the first three chapters of the book of Job. But I wanted to um, talk about, in 2 Corinthians 5, check this out about somebody 
asking, well, where does it say why Jesus came? Well, it says it in, all over the place. First John uh, 3, um, I believe it's First John 3, 8 or 18. Hold on. It says the reason why he actually came. First John 3, 8. For who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Here it is, the second part of uh, chapter, I'm sorry, verse 8 of 1 John 3. For this purpose, that's pretty clear. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Well, what are the works of the devil? Rebellion against Father God. That rebellion is still around. It's still influencing men. It's oftentimes within us because we've received it. We made it part of who we are. And so if the purpose that Jesus came is to destroy the works of the devil, how do you get rid of spiritual rebellion in a material creation? And that is the challenge for us as believers, as his church, as his bride, as soldiers of Christ, as future uh, judges of men and angels, as future uh, kings and priests, as it says in Revelation 5, over the material creation. Those are our challenges. How do you get rid of a spiritual rebellion which is contained and has infected and has infested both, infected and infested the material creation? And so part of it, is to understand why Jesus came, is to get rid of the works of the devil, all of his plans, all of his tactics. But check this out. This tells you another reason why Jesus came, probably the primary reason. And so here we go. Second uh, Corinthians 5, 15, And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Okay, I want to go down to verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You're being transformed, folks, from the inside out. It's not about transportation. It's about trans formation into God's image so that we can express as his representatives his likeness to other people. See how that works? Look at verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us. So this is Father God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. It doesn't get any more clear than that. That's why he came. That's why God the Father sent Jesus. That's why Jesus came to the earth. I'll read it again, the first part of verse 18. Where are we? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. Now what's reconciled mean? It means when you have reconciliation with somebody, you're getting back together and you're restoring something that was lost. What was lost? The relationship that Adam and Eve had with Father God in the Genesis 1 and 2. That's what we lost. We didn't lose heaven. We lost our Father. And since you lose your Father, you lose your life because knowing Father God is life, John 17, 3. So if you don't know God, you have no eternal life in you. If you read John 17, 3, if you don't know him relationally, emotionally, So let's go back to verse 18. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the ministry to continue that same ministry on to reconcile other people who don't know the Father to come back to him relationally. See how that works? So that's twice that the word reconciled has shown up so far. There's more. Verse 19. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's the third time 
reconciling or reconcile or reconciliation shows up. Let's continue. Not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us. God has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That's four times, folks. It doesn't end here. Verse 20, now then, we are ambassadors, or representatives, if you will, but we're ambassadors for Christ, as though God, Father God, were pleading through us. He's asking other people who don't know him yet, come back to me so we can be reconciled. As though God were pleading through us. This is verse 20 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. You see that again? The word reconcile shows up for a fifth time. Wow. And then finishing up with verse 21. For he made him, who's okay, he being Father God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. But you see, there are, let's see, let's count them. One, two, three, four, five, six verses, which we just read, where the word reconcile or to be reconciled or has reconciled or reconciliation shows up five times. Five times. And so for somebody to say, oh, Jesus came so that when I die, I get to go to a place. No, that's not why he came. He came to do away with the works of the enemy, which is called spiritual rebellion within human flesh. And how do you do that? You do that by getting back together to know your father again. All right? So let's get back to this one new man. So we've been talking about, in Ephesians 2, God's building a construction project bringing Jew and Gentile together. Jesus is the chief cornerstone, as we see in uh, Ephesians 2, chapter uh, verse 20. And the building is being fitted together. It grows into a holy temple. There was that idea of temple again. God wants to dwell in us, not with us, not alongside of us, in us. And in whom, in verse 22 of Ephesians 2, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place, of God. You see how this theme is over and over? God wants to indwell his people. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to leave our finger there on uh, with that part in Ephesians 8. Let's jump over to, real quick, John 17. This'll, you'll see this uh, Jew and Gentile um, plan of Father God and how it translates into... Um, what's supposed to happen with us in the here and now. So here's Jesus the night before he dies, and these are, this is literally the last words that he speaks right before the end of the Last Supper. And he's praying to the Father. He's with the 12 uh, Jewish apostles, and he says, I do not pray for these alone, these being the Jewish apostles there, but also for those who will believe me oh, I'm sorry, will believe in me through their word. So that's a future tense. And the, those who are gonna, will believe in me through their word, through the Jewish apostles, are the Gentiles. So the, he understands there's two different groups. This is kind of like the two different um, uh, flocks of sheep that he talked about, um, Jesus talked about in John chapter 10. One shepherd, but bringing both flocks, flocks of sheep together. Now, Check out verse 21. This is where the union with back with Father God comes to comes into being through Jesus. Now check this out. John 17, 21, that they may all be one. Now let's just stop right there. He just talked about in verse 20, these and those. Well, who were these and those? It was the these were the Jews and the those were the Gentiles. But notice in verse 21, he says that they the these and those, may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, notice the indwelling here, and I in you, 
that they also may be, here you go, one in us, not with us, not knowing about us in your head or your brain or what you were taught in Sunday school, but you're actually in God. Do you see how revolutionary that is? I don't hear that preached very often. And this is the whole point. This is why he came to restore our intimate, deep, profound relationship with our Father. But he's going to do it not just with you as an individual. He's going to do it in people groups because the gospel was supposed to be exemplified through the Jewish people to the people of the nations. It was supposed to be a prototype, if you will, to say this is how you have a relationship with God. This is what a relationship with God looks like. This is what it sounds like. This is what you experience it like. This is what it feels like. And see, we've all missed that by signing on to this Gnostic gospel that says, no, everything God made was in the material creation evil, and therefore we need to leave this creation and go up to heaven where the doesn't, Bible doesn't talk about heaven a whole lot. It talks a whole lot about what we do down here on earth by getting to know God again. It talks a lot about that. So we've got to stop with the myths. We've got to get back to the Bible. We have to have Bible for what we believe. And so God is restoring this kingdom of God message of relationship restoration, of relationship rest, a reconciliation, of relationship regeneration between him and his sons and daughters and his people, whether they be Jewish sons and daughters or whether they be Gentile sons and daughters, people of the nations. So let me finish verse 21 in uh, John 17. That they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That's called union. And that they also may be one in us. That's talking about both groups. Now, what's the point? Why? Why the oneness? Why the indwelling? And here's the kicker. He explains it. So that the world may believe, Father, that you sent me. You sent me here not to have the great escape. You didn't send me here to whisk them away. He says, look, as long as you're in the world, God, Jesus told us that you're going to have tribulation, but, you know, be glad. Rejoice. I have overcome the world. He never says, you know, that we don't have to have tribulation. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's how we mature. We begin to trust God to resolve our issues and our problems and our dilemmas and our all of our hang-ups. And we go to him and say, I don't know what to do here. I, I'm not smart enough to figure this out, but you are. Father, help me with the small stuff, the in-between stuff, and the large stuff, everything. You're my life. You're my breath. You are my life. And so when we start to see this oneness concept coming around in John 17, 3, now Paul's writing about it as a mystery in Ephesians chapter 2. And so it's interesting that after he talks about this construction project with Jesus, Yeshua being the cornerstone, but the, the foundation is the Jewish apostles and the Jewish prophets. Why? Because it's one message that Father God, after the fall of Adam and Eve, said, I'm going to have this seed go through human lines. So the seed's coming from Eve originally, but these human lines are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the, the Davidic covenants. And basically saying this seed is going to, which is human seed, but it's... <laughs> It's also divine seed simultaneously. Ah, you might be saying, what are you talking about with all this seed stuff? Well, let me just take a little detour over to Galatians chapter 2, which is the book right before Ephesians. And 
Let's see when he's talking about this seed. Okay, in Galatians 3, um, looking, looking at, here we go, verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed. Now notice the word seed there is capitalized. Okay. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. What are the promises? The promises, did you notice, have you ever taken a, um, a good look at the fact that all of these promises made to the Jews all involved land, earth, returning to earth and getting your land back as your inheritance because now you're members of a family? Ephesians chapter 2 says, when you get born again, you become a member of the household of God. So you're welcome to the royal family. But it says also, as far as the nation goes, it says when you're born again, you become part of the commonwealth of Israel. Wow, that's bigger than family. So that's now nations. We're talking about nations now. And check this out about the seed. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises. We're in Galatians 3, 16. He does not say, and to seeds, plural, with a small s, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. The fall took place through man agreeing with Satan to rebel against God. The reconciliation and the restoration of the kingdom takes place through the divine seed becoming man. That's Jesus. He's very God of very God. We know that. He is the Son of God. That's clear. But guess what? The Bible calls him many more times, more frequently, rather than the Son of God. He's called the Son of Man. Now, why is that a big deal? I think it's like 82 to 12. 82 times he's called the Son of Man versus like 12 uh, with, he's called the Son of God. Why is that a big deal? It's because, because through man being deceived by the enemy came the fall. It's going to be through a man, a divine man, his godly seed, who is very God of very God, but also very man of very man. He's also the Son of Man, is going to come the restoration from the fall. You see how important it is? That just shows. He's putting on display, God's putting on display his manifold wisdom of God that we see in Ephesians chapter 3 to say, I never change my mind about putting mankind in charge of the material creation, so much so that the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Savior, is not going to be just a spirit, son of God. He's going to be also a man. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 3, this sign of victory over the principalities and the powers is to say, I'm bringing mankind together, Jew and Gentile, back to me. After the manifestation of the seed, the first time, for the time of the ministry that Jesus was here, he says, I didn't change my mind. He came to restore all of the promises that were made to Abraham. And part of those promises wasn't just he was going to become a father of many nations. It also involved getting land. You know, it's interesting if you say, where are you getting all hung up on this, that the earth belongs to mankind? Well, check out, check out Psalm, um, I believe it's 115. And, you know, there's, it's in tons of places, but I'm just using this as, as one example. Um, let me see if I can put my finger on it here real quick. Psalm 115, uh, verse 16. Check this out. Here it is. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. Do you realize that what, what we preach oftentimes in the church is this great escapist um, uh, theology? We're walking away from our, from our inheritance, from our in, uh, earthly land-based inheritance. All of the promises made to the Jews were attached to land, getting land back. Well, who took the land from us? Well, the enemy did in Genesis chapter 3. The enemy 
wanted to have authority so he can exercise his power in the material creation. Okay? So, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made, and he does not say to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. Now, check this out in verse 17. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed by God in Christ, that it should make the promise to no effect. For if the inheritance is of legalism or of the law, it is no longer of the promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So we have to understand that it says, I'm going to wrap up here in verse 27. For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, verse 28, where there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, nor male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And this is the verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and you are heirs, H-E-I-R-S, according to the promise. Do you see that now? Do you see how important that we understand our Hebrew history, our Hebrew roots, because they explain the Hebrew promises that involve us as people of the nations as to what our inheritance is. Wow. Hope you have tons of Simple Truth moments in the upcoming week. God bless you. See you next week. Thank you for spending your time with us excavating God's Simple Truth moments. For more information and resources, visit simpletruthministries.net. That's simpletruthministries.net. To contact Simple Truth Moments, email me at earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. That's earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. So until next time, may God richly reveal His Simple Truth Moments to you. You've been listening to Simple Truth Moments. Join Reverend Earl Clampett for another episode next Sunday at 11 a.m. right here on K-Praise. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.